I have had the opportunity to train with my guest a few times before, and every time I did train with him, I was just blown away and impressed at how technical he was, how fast he was, how much power he had, and also how good he is at conveying and expressing all the minute details that might go into a different technique or a form in martial arts, specifically Thai. I've taken a couple of Muay Thai seminars with Bobby and it's always been such a joy. He's such a positive, likable dude. And he gave me an hour of his time to chat about his life in martial arts and how much it has made an impact on his life. And the video quality is kind of a bummer, but I'll say the conversation quality was fantastic. Bobby has a Facebook page called Friday's Makeshift Gym, and he is starting his own website that is uh, Evolution of an art.com. It's not up yet, but it will be in the future. I'll put the links in the show description below. So I hope you enjoy this conversation with my awesome, positive, amazing friend, Bobby Gambetta. Bobby Gambetta, it's about time we do the episode of a podcast together. I've been dying to talk to you for so long, and I'm glad that we're finally here. Yeah, I, I feel the same way. I mean, Corey, you're just such a great guy. You know, obviously, we know you're a great martial artist, but more importantly than that, you're a great person. And like we alluded to earlier before we started our podcast is how time moves too quickly. And when we see each other, it's those really fast and fierce conversations because yeah. we're in the middle of a training. So it's nice to be able to kind of kick back and just kind of talk and, you know, about a, a yep. bunch of things. I, I I waited to tell you this story because I wanted you I wanted to tell it to you first on the podcast when I first met you you uh, came to one of our classes not to like teach but you're just like you just wanted to train with Sifu and you drove up to Taikai to to train and I remember it was when you had like long hair you were wearing like a baggy shirt and Sifu was like hey I got one of my guys coming in training I'm like who is this guy this guy doesn't look like he can hit anything and then you're with Brad and all you said thud 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 on the pads that had to have been like probably 2010 2011 it was a long time ago but i that memory is ingrained in my head where i was like you cannot judge a book by his cover <laughs> i you know i remember going up there one of the you know the first time just because i wanted to see sifu you know kevin seaman uh i i missed someone it was just you know, I want to go see him and train with him. And I knew I'd meet wonderful people. I knew the people who trained with him were just great people, you know, like you and Brad. And my hair was super long. I was growing it out, and I didn't tell anybody. I grew it out. I'm a public school teacher. I teach eighth grade social studies at Cortland City School District. And I was growing my hair out for locks of love because I just mm. I wanted to do something just like in, in a small way, just, you know, do something for others. And yeah. it was and I'm embarrassed to say it was tough for me to grow my hair out because it was annoying and got in a way. And when I thought this is bugging me, I was embarrassed to feel like that because the causes that that's the real struggle. People dealing with, you know, fighting cancer and, and the fallout of that. And so I would be embarrassed complaining about it. Cause I mean, here I'm healthy and I'm just trying to, you know, grow it out. And Brett or uh, Corey, people would make fun of me. They, <laughs> they tease me about my long hair and stuff. I was like, boy, the abuse I'm getting. So when I finally cut it, uh, someone said to me, 
oh, you cut your hair. Did you decide to grow up? And I leaned over and I whispered because I didn't tell anyone. I said I was growing out for locks of love. And they felt so bad and apologetic. Yeah, right. I Man, a guy can't just have bad. long hair and just enjoy his long hair. <laughs> yeah, you know, and, and, and I and it's funny, I don't want to make the person feel bad. It just kind of happened to. But I remember I I would get I would constantly get pulled out of line at the airport because of my hair, I believe. I had people that kind of looked like who is that tree hugger? He's gonna. Train him <laughs> yeah. Well, I hope he doesn't get hurt. You know, <laughs> so I was just kind of the quiet guy in the background yeah. with that long flowing hair. <laughs> yep, yep. And then, dude, it was like you came into class, and then a few months later, we were in Buffalo, and you're holding for Brad's test, and yes. you pop your shirt off, and I'm like, this dude, like his biceps have abs. Like, what is going on? Like, you're shredded to a T. So the whole time I'm like, all right, well, never judge a book by its cover. Bobby knows what's up, dude. And then I see you move. I'm like, okay, yep. I shouldn't have had those bad thoughts. <laughs> that pre I the that, prejudice I thoughts. I remember that seminar, and I remember I always try to hide because I don't I don't like to hold because I just feel bad because uh, <laughs> I mean, obviously it's part of the test and it's good, but I always feel bad. And then, of course, you take your shirt off because you got to wear the pads and all that. And I'm always like embarrassed and stuff. So I was in charge like, Bob, you're going to hold. I'm like, OK, sir. I'm like, oh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah, that, that was a great weekend, too. I remember that it was a nice seminar with Ajahn Chai. Well, yeah, all of Ajahn Chai seminars are amazing. And, and, you know, it's amazing to spend time with him. But it's also amazing to be with, you know, people that you get to meet. You know, you, you, you see people and you don't know who they are. Then you get to meet them because they're your classmates or your colleagues. And then if you're very fortunate, you keep in contact because then they move from that, from, you know, to an acquaintance, to a, a friend. Some are almost like an extension of the family. You might spend more time with your training partners and certain family yeah. members, like a cousin. So, uh, but yeah, I remember that seminar and, and, and all that stuff. How, how did you get introduced to martial arts? Yeah, you know, possibly like most people when I was a little kid, I don't remember if I saw Muhammad Ali fight first and it would have been a, a, a replay or because I was too young to watch him live or if I saw a Bruce Lee movie first. But I vividly remember when I was a little kid, a Muhammad Ali highlights of a match or highlights of his, you know, him because he's just an amazing, you know, athlete or a Bruce Lee film, which I, I remember as a little kid just standing there and staring like, I don't know, like a UFO just landed at, at Bruce Lee's athleticism. And I was like, I want to do that. And uh, I actually trained martial arts before boxing because my parents would never let me box. And I'm not mad at my parents. What parent wants their child to box? Because, you know, yeah, like, right. you know, the, the, obviously the dangers with being hit. So uh, I actually started boxing super late. So I actually started martial arts. But that was the motivation for me seeing Muhammad Ali and Bruce Lee and knowing other people, people not even in martial arts like a, like a Michael Jordan. Just seeing their level of athleticism, of, of athleticism, you know, gymnasts, soccer players, we can name any sport. And, and just to be amazed, me, I was always amazed and moved by people when they displayed some type of physicality, which is like, you know, outwardly. And I was like, I want to be like that or I want to have a similar ability. And that's what gravitated me towards sports and that gravitated me towards specifically martial arts and boxing, which is a martial art. What was the, you did boxing first? No, I, I, because my parents would never let me box. I could not box uh, in right. junior high school or high school. I could not box in college. So it was actually after college 
and it wasn't right after college because I had to get a car. So it was a, <laughs> I, I, yeah. I, it was a, a process before I finally got my own car. And now I had a sense of independence, although that's ironic because I was still living at home once I graduated college. I <laughs> to a boxing gym, but I still didn't tell my parents because no matter how old you are, you can always be disciplined by mom and dad. <laughs> yeah, right. So, right, um, exactly. Yeah, so my uh, first uh, type of training in martial arts was actually karate. Oh, nice. What kind of, what type of karate? Uh, Heidi Ochi's Washington Karate. There was a, a teacher, he went to Cortland State. His name was uh, Mr. John Pericone. And at the time, he was a second-degree black belt under Heidi Ochi. Right now, he might be a sixth-degree black belt. And uh, he was student teaching in Groton High School, which is where my mother and father taught. So they got to meet him and became friends. And he mentioned how he teaches karate at Cortland State. It's one of the satellite schools for Heidi Ochai's, Master Ochai's Washington Karate. But it's only offered to college students. But they were offering a summer uh, session. Did I lose you, Corey? No, no, I'm here. Okay. So they were offering a summer session. And it was open to the public. So my father and I trained and, and it was, it was fantastic. The class, cool. it, remind, it reminded me of the karate kid. You started off, oh, really? warming up, you'd warm up, you'd stretch, you'd do your push-ups, Then you'd learn <laughs> a self-defense technique. Then you'd train in kata and then you'd finish the class with sparring. But throughout the class, uh, Mr. Paracone always had philosophy about respect and discipline and being a helpful, good person to your family, friends, the community. So it was amazing. So that was my first martial art. And you got to do it with your dad too. Yes. He trained in the summer session, both of us. And then in the fall, they allowed us to continue training as students. And my father, you know, he was busy with teaching. And then his love was, you know, fishing and hunting like that. So he stopped after the summer and I stayed with it for a couple of years. Wow. That's cool. That's really cool. You at least got to do some type of martial arts with your dad. That's pretty cool. Right. It, it was amazing, you know. And then I, uh, I, I, my friend's father was a black belt and he taught Shotokan karate. And so after a year or two, I, I was secretly training in Shotokan as well, because there are certain <laughs> styles and instructors where they, their philosophy is you can train in this art and not other arts. And if you want to train in other arts, that's fine. But they're not this art because they yeah. believe life is short, but the art is long. And so they really want you to focus on that art. So I was Only secretly one. training in another art because so, I don't want to get <laughs> up training with Mr. Paracone. I was trying to be a ninja. Yeah, how weird is that? I don't. I never understood. I, I guess I could understand that train of thought, but I'm more of like do everything, train everything. Yeah. There's some of my jujitsu stuff crosses over to Muay Thai, and you wouldn't think so, but there's well, some you know, cross training there. Corey, I agree with you 100. I, I, I mean. I'm not disagreeing with those who believe just trying to want art. That's their approach. That's what's best for them. For me, and it sounds like for you, that approach isn't what's going to be best for us. For us, we like to be able to train in different yeah. arts. And my one teacher said, when you're in high school or college, you don't just take English or math or science. You're taking yeah. uh, cross-discipline courses. And then he'd look at life activities and say, food. You don't just eat one type of food. It's different 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 types of food depending on the time of day possibly or what you feel like having and right. not to uh lessen the complexity and high level skill of martial art to eating a bowl of cereal but the approach was like in life that that varied approach where you have different experiences 
And so that's, for me, that's, I believe that different arts training and works great. And what you said, I'll take it one step further. I, I, for me, just me, I wholeheartedly believe if I'm working with you, Corey, and you're teaching me a triangle or an arm bar, or you're teaching me a Muay Thai round kick, or you're teaching me a downward block from karate, they're all the same. At the higher level, we're talking about movement. We're talking about spatial right. relationship with your opponent. We're talking about different elements like center of gravity, fulcrum lever. So in reality, I know a jab is different than a round kick and a round kick is different than an arm bar. But also at the same time, I know it's the same, you know, so. Right, right, right. Is that, that's, pro that's one of the reasons why you gravitate towards training multiple forms of martial arts, right? Because it's oh, not just yeah. boxing that we do. Absolutely. You know, when, if I went to a school, let's say it was uh, offering judo, uh, Brazilian jiu-jitsu, uh, catches, catch and wrestling, uh, Aikido, I would train in all those arts because they're beautiful arts. And one goal externally would be, I'm hoping one day to be become an instructor, becoming a black belt. Who does not want to try to improve, you know, and develop, you know, have a nice goal like that and, and develop a higher level of understanding in judo or Aikido or karate. But the higher goal is I want to earn a black belt in me and Bobby Gambetta. So the vehicle mm -hmm. to developing a deeper understanding of me, of who I am as a human being, and more importantly, what is my purpose on, on this earth? That is, to me, what martial arts does. So Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu or boxing or karate is the vehicle to develop a higher level of understanding in me. And so if that is the case, then the more life experiences I have, then the greater understanding I can have of myself. And if I have a deeper understanding of me and who I am, then I think I can have a better understanding of you, Corey, and that will enrich in our relationship and make it a stronger, better relationship. That way I, I'll be a better friend, a better family person. So yeah, so because that's kind of like my approach for me, then the best approach is to be able to experience different arts. When you went from, did you go from karate to when you, I would say when you went to boxing, did you still do your karate on the side? Were you always training multiple martial arts? So I was, I trained simultaneously in uh, washroom karate and Shotokan. And then when I left for college, those arts were not available. So uh, I was unable to train in those arts. And then I was very busy. So I was just kind of training on my own, you know, from what I learned. And then when I came back before I got out of college, I met Sifu Kevin Seaman. He became my third instructor. My second instructor was Mr. Ray Roberts. My third instructor was Sifu Kevin Seaman. And he was the first to introduce me to Gung Fu. And so then I started training Gung Fu under him. And at that time, he wasn't really teaching Jun Fan Gung Fu or Jeet Kune Do. He was kind of teaching like a, a non-traditional Chinese Gung Fu. He was blending from arts he learned, like he learned, he has training in Charlie foot, you know, iron palm training, things like that. So I, so I trained with him and he, I still didn't box yet because I was really young when I trained with him. And so from him, right. I learned, he was my first gung, my third martial arts instructor, my first gung fu instructor. He also was the first one to teach me elements of boxing because he used to train at the LA boxing gym. Cause he's from California. And a lot of people yeah. don't know that. So he, he, uh, introduced elements of boxing in the training and uh then he uh was my first filipino martial arts instructor 
And through him, I was able to meet a lot of my current instructors now. It was after training with Sifu Kevin Seymour for a while that I eventually started to box. And when I boxed, yes, I still trained with Sifu Kevin Seaman and trained in the other martial arts, no longer karate, but I still used elements of those arts, including karate in my boxing, because like I said, they all are the same at a certain level. Movement is movement. Movement is universal. And so yeah. it just kind of, you know, I, and I didn't, not at first, I, 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 did, I was unaware of that. It wasn't until years later when I heard that quote, movement is universal. When I heard stillness and stillness is not the real stillness, but stillness and movement is what we seek, you know, balance and movement, not static balance. That's when I started to understand, oh, okay, you can have karate where you don't train in weapons to brown belt or black belt, depending on the art, Filipino martial arts, where you start with weapons. So you cannot have a more extreme opposite approach. And yet at that higher level, the results the same. And so that's right. when I realized the similarity. And, I, and when I say that too, I don't want to upset any martial artists. I don't want to deny the uniqueness, the specialness oh, that yeah. Yeah. Uh, karate, jiu-jitsu, boxing, judo, fencing has to offer. They have techniques yeah, that are extremely sure. specific, unique to the art they've created. I'm not denying that at all. But in addition to that uniqueness, there's also that that commonality, that, you know, one one flow. Yeah, I, I explain people in martial arts that it's like a, uh, it's almost, it is like an art, but it just is what your medium is, right? Like some artists like to work with clay and pottery. Some artists like to work with paint and acrylics and oils. And I'm, I like to dabble with Muay Thai and I like to do jujitsu. Those are just my preferred forms of medium or whatever they call it it's just a sure. just a different way to express your uh your movements and energy everything's just, like you said movement's always the same right it's just how you're getting from point a to b that matters right? absolutely you know it's interesting to talk about the different art forms because you know you hear people talk about like say boxing for example say the art and science of boxing all martial art regardless of the discipline when you are learning the art, it is a science because you're learning about your center of gravity. You're learning about spatial relationship, lines of attack or defense, line familiarization. So when you learn the art and they teach you proper position, you know, position before submission, proper technique, where you get the leverage. So all martial arts, when you learn it, is a science. When you truly perform the art, now you're expressing yourself. So now it's an art. So when you learn the science, when you actually do it, it becomes an art. It's an expression of yourself. And some people prefer to express themselves more on the ground. Some people express themselves more standing up. Obviously, our goal, all people's goal would be no limitation, right? No limitation has limitation. Right. Therefore, you want to be able to express yourself in martial arts standing on the ground or transition from standing to the ground or ground to standing. And then we also want to add in weaponry. We also want to add in what we call experiential learning or situational training. And that's no different than uh, a sculptor. You may be a sculptor and that's your choice and that's your passion. But if you learn watercolor painting, is that going to inhibit your expression in sculpting? No. 
it's going to enhance that because art is art, right? And it's the creativity right. side where you express yourself, your true self, your inner self, not your facade, right? So that's kind of my approach with that. So I agree with you with that. that I love that it analogy. seems like that's what gravitated you towards martial arts is you like that expression of yourself. Yeah, absolutely. You know, as a kid, like it's not uncommon. It's embarrassing now to say, as a kid, I want to be a great fighter. Why are you training cry? Because I want to fight. And I remember watching the Karate Kid, and Mr. Miyagi says, Daniel says to Mr. Miyagi, well, you were never afraid to fight uh, you, because you train to fight. And he's like, that's how you think? He's like, mm, no. Well, why do you train? So I don't have to fight. <laughs> so I hear that, yeah. and I'm starting to shrink because I'm like, well, I started training because I wanted to be a great fighter. And I'm not saying that's bad, but you're young, you're a kid, you want to be a great fighter. Not defending yourself yep. as in self-defense, but because you're young, maybe mature, I want to be a great fighter because that's cool. And then as you train, then you start to realize maybe it's not so much aggressiveness or offensive action, but maybe you want to be able to defend yourself, your family, your loved ones. And of course, that component's always important. But then when you go to an even higher level, you realize martial art is about having a deeper understanding of who you are so then you can live your life to its fullest potential. And you have more limitations and you will achieve less if your self-knowledge, if your true understanding of yourself is not present, if, if, if you don't have that awareness, as we have a deeper understanding of ourselves and we start to peel away those layers that we put up as our facade, then you will be overwhelmed by the true inner strength power you have to really not only dream dreams, but go out and achieve them and accomplish them. You know, and, and I saw many people in the sporting world, particularly martial artists, you know, and then, you know, other sports, boxing, and it could be any artist, writers, you know, and that's when I realized, yeah, that's, that's when I realized all along, I fooled myself. I thought it was about fighting and it was beyond that. And Corey, I'm amazed at how many people who train in the martial arts, and I'm thankful for this, have never had to defend themselves on the street. And that's yeah. great. So then I realized, up. yeah, you know, real, that that's great because you don't wish harm on anyone, but it also kind of reinforced. We train to be able to defend, defend ourselves to preserve life, protect life, not take it. And it's nice that many people don't even have to defend themselves. And then that doesn't mean martial arts training was a waste of time because the higher level of the training is inward training. When you started training, did you notice uh, an immediate change in your confidence? Not like confidence, like crazy arrogant, I'm the best guy ever, but like felt more comfortable in your own skin? You know, for me, when I first started training, the opposite happened initially. I was kind of insecure and awkward and I couldn't get it. And I felt kind of like, you know, oh, I don't get it. I, you know, I'm a slow learner. And then you want our people looking at you or people laughing at you, whatever like that. So I'd go home and I'd say, oh, maybe this isn't my thing. I'm not good at it. But I'm like, no, I, I like it. So I'm going to stay with it. And then as you like with anything, as you develop a greater understanding, as you increase your knowledge of something, as you increase your skill, then your enjoyment of it increases, your enthusiasm increases, and absolutely your confidence increases where now you're not as inhibited to perform the kata in front of a group, to uh, be thrown in the shark tank with a large class and not worry, or to be called up to demonstrate a combination on the tie pads. You actually look forward to you know showing your teacher, you, you show thanks to your teacher by doing well. So yes, as I improved and my confidence grew, and from that, my confidence started to grow within where I felt more secure as a person where I didn't have to be quick to respond to a, 
to where I felt someone was calling me out on something, or I found I found I had developed greater understanding, greater compassion towards others. You know, before Corey, before I started training, I'm in line at the grocery store, and the person in front of me is fumbling with money, drop stuff on the floor. I'm running late, so I, I'm I'm upset, and maybe I'm rude, or the checkout person is rude to me, so I'm rude back. And then now I realize if someone is rude to me, I feel bad because maybe they lost their pet the day before. Maybe they didn't. Right. Maybe they just had a bad day at work that was unwarranted. Maybe it's their fault of having a bad day. Regardless, they're not having a good day. And to me, it's more important to respond with kindness, compassion, understanding than respond with fire. You know, you know, it's funny. Fight fire with water, not fire. So, yeah. So, yeah, right. led me to that. Right, right, exactly. No, and that's uh, when you think that there's more things that could be going on in that person's life than just what's going on in your moment right there. It kind sure. of starts broadening your 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 thoughts a little bit, and that's I would say martial arts helped me channel that a little bit better for for my sake. We we're talking like with confidence wise, like you know that first like few weeks, the first month, you're like uh, you shadow box and you just feel really weird you're like i don't know if i'm doing this right yes. you know and once you get over that and you get in that routine like i felt like month three month four i just felt more comfortable being in my own skin you know what i mean i don't know if that was just me being an 18 year old kid getting older or if that was really a part of martial arts but it really just gave me like more self-confidence you know it gave me like a vehicle to to show that i had that i could be comfortable with my own skin. Does that, does that make sense? Sounds weird when I say that like that. No, that makes it. I agree 100%. I felt the same way. As you become more comfortable in your own skin, yeah. you will then find a greater comfortability with others. You will find your relationships becoming richer and deeper. And, you know, going back to that example, maybe the clerk in the grocery store that was kind of rude to me, even if they had nothing going on in their life that was bad or just not a nice person, I still can have empathy. I, I can still have compassion for them because I feel bad that that's their outlook, that's their personality. I hope that they're going to find a way to be thankful for what they have and find ways to deal with the struggles they have so they can just enjoy life because this is no dress rehearsal. This is it, you know, and so life's too short as it is to not have as much enjoyment as possible in a healthy, respectful way. And so martial arts did that. And it goes back to what you said perfectly becoming more comfortable in my skin and enabled me to just have better relationships. It helps you be a little bit more mindful, right? Absolutely. I love I that for, me, for sure. Yeah, me too. Me too. Makes in uh that for me, it was a practice that Marshall, honestly, Sifu was part of the reason I was introduced to mindfulness and just the thought of, of being present, being mindful of the moment and stuff like that was through him. And I thought about that a lot more and it's, it's carried over a lot with uh, all the martial arts that you do. How do you uh, balance everything, Bobby? Yeah, well, it, it, it's being mindful, mindful in your being life right and mindful in the activities. You know, it's interesting. Uh, there was a, an experiment done and I'm going to, I'm going to, I know I'm going to botch a lot of the details. I don't like to share stuff unless I kind of have the facts accurate, but it was like 2007 and this person, and I believe was in D.C., was in a, a, a bus depot and or maybe could have been an airport and playing a violin in the background. 
and people are just going by like it was nothing. Just because we're setting our patterns, our rituals, routines, we're so busy getting to the next destination that we're never in the current destination we're in. We're never in the moment. And it turned out that the person playing was the leading violinist in the world. The violin he was using was a $3 million antique violin. And he gave a concert the night before where the cheapest tickets were $100. And no one, you know, and I think he raised 2 or $3 in a tip jar. And it's just funny it's how- yeah, and, and it takes me back to this quote, we never truly realize the most important moments in our life until they've just passed us by. And uh, I, I believe that, not for all people, I believe that for me, that's often been my case as a kid growing up. You know, and let's face it, we have different stages in our life where we become a little more in tuned, a little more mature, we'll say a little more, a little wiser to how things are. And, you know, you heard that expression, stop and smell the roses. And you know, I, I read a book called The Mindful Athlete, and, and the key is being in the moment, being in the present. And those are like cliche phrases that a lot of people still need to need to define. And your question, how do I balance everything? You know, my my job as a public school teacher, my family, and then my training. And it's I need to make sure that I put first thing first. And that comes from Stephen Covey, wrote a great book in 1989 called Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Even though it was published in 1989, I highly recommend it. It's more, it's more relevant today than ever. It's, a, it's an amazing book. And one of the chapters is I'm putting, you know, prioritizing, putting first things first. And uh, you look at the big things first, you know, family, career, you know, your passion. And then you schedule the little things in there. And you really want to focus on what's truly important in your life. And, and it's very easy to do that. Imagine today's your last day on this earth. Are you going to say, I wish I mowed the yard today? And that doesn't mean there's nothing wrong with wanting a beautiful yard and spending time landscaping. That's not that at all. But am I cutting off time with my family? Am I cutting off time with my training to mow the yard? And could the mow yard mowing be deferred? So if today's my last day, I stop and I want to think about what do I need to do before I pass? And Corey, if right now the world is going to end, I don't have to run in and say goodbye to my family. Because when I was with them prior to the podcast, I was with them in the moment. Let them know I love them. Let them know. See if they need anything. Everyone's set. Okay, now I'm moving to the next thing I need to do. It's very important to me is the podcast. So if I were to pass right now, I would not have to get up and run. And there's nothing undone that needs to be done. And that's kind of how I live my life. And that doesn't mean you can't plan for the future. That doesn't mean you never stop and reflect about the past. That doesn't mean that at all. That's, that people take things to the extreme to say, oh, okay, they never plan anything, live to the moment. That's not what it means. It means when you are involved in something, reading a book, talking with a friend, you are involved in reading that book, talking to that friend, you're in that moment. And right. so that's how I'm able to kind of keep things in balance. And I was surprised to see with you keeping everything in balance. I was talking to Sifu and I didn't realize how many, how many black belts you have. You have a black belt in how many different martial arts? Uh, I I don't even know. I mean, I so, some See, arts, you don't even know, dude. You lost track. Well, no. <laughs> so, some arts, like you know, let's let's take boxing for example. There's not an official black belt per se. You know, right. you become a coach, which is like an instructor and things like that. And uh, but um, like I say, I, I don't have nowhere near as many as most people, even as many as people Kevin Seaman. And like I say, what I try to do is I just really try to 
when I'm like when I was up there uh, in Sipu's class and we were all training with the boxing, then I was my perspective was okay. I want to try to develop a deeper understanding of the art and science of boxing, and at the same time, I wanted to take that new knowledge. I didn't just learn a new technique. I didn't just get a deeper insight or understanding to boxing. I also got a deeper insight understanding to who I am as a person. And then what I need to maybe still work on, develop and change to be a better person to for others, but also for myself so I can achieve, you know, my, my goals, you know, my dreams, you know. Yeah, when you were when you were younger, you wanted to be nothing but a fighter, right? Yes, you know, it's interesting, you know, and, and, and I think that's okay. I think like let's face it, if Corey, if you were a great basketball player as a kid, you probably dream about playing the NBA. And at some point in your life, then that's going to shift. And maybe now your dream is to be a head coach for the NBA or, you know, maybe like working more with the all athletes. You might want to be a scout, you know. So, so yeah, our, our shifts change and stuff, you know. And as a kid, I wanted to be a fighter, you know. And now I don't know what I want to do. I'm still a kid. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say now have you shifted your focus to coaching more? I I'm when you were here at Taika, you said you were, you were trying to take a boxing fight, which I was like, Bobby, what are you doing? You're taking a boxing fight right now? <laughs> yeah, my my plan, they're they're having uh, boxing matches in Ithaca, and I was excited to be on the card. But uh, it, it, the problem is uh, it's probably not going to happen. I, I was doing really well, but I'm only getting to the boxing gym two days a week, maybe three. I'm sparring yeah. one day a week, and then I, I stop back. And, and really had to assess the situation. It's like, listen, when you are fighting competitively, like any amateur competitor or professional competitor, whether it's boxing or wrestling, you know, MMA, you're probably at the gym five, six days a week. You know, I remember being at, at, at my boxing gym six days a week. I remember sparring two days a week. Sometimes if we would put a third day in, depending on the intensity of it. How can you expect to compete in anything? I don't care if we're talking badminton. If you're going two days a week and your opponent's going five days or six days, it's a big especially difference. if, yeah, and especially if what you're competing in isn't hitting a birdie or a ball, but hitting someone and someone's hitting you. So, <laughs> yeah, so yeah, right. so I'm, I'm, really put it. yeah, so I'm, I'm, I'm again, you know, it's, it's like anything. It's it, for some people, it's very tough to let go and transition and move forward. But I've always truly enjoyed working with people, and what I'm trying to do now is I'm trying to establish my martial art business. Um, I'm, I'm very excited and I'm very passionate about teaching seminars. And the reason why I like to teach seminars is it gives me an opportunity to move around different parts of the state, the country, even outside the country, meet, meet different people, work with different people. And I really want to, I really want to spread the art and science of boxing. Um, I believe there are just many incredible martial artists who are already teaching wonderful arts like uh jiu-jitsu like karate like uh judo jikundo uh, filipino martial arts but i i don't hear of anyone giving seminars in boxing maybe it's uh not martial art enough like it's not considered like a traditional martial art maybe it's not exotic enough i'm not sure Good idea. The reason. but i think that what i think i think there's a great need for it because every martial art whether you're talking aikido karate judo they teach you how to deal with a boxer or how to deal with a punch, how to defend yourself against a punch. And most combative sports or competitive sports, boxing is an element of boxing is used. So I just believe that boxing would enhance, not compete with, but enhance with any martial art. And so that's what I want to try and do. That's my goal. That's a good idea. That's uh, I knew, 
right when you said that, I was trying to think of when the last time I saw an ad for a, a boxing seminar, and I can't think of one one advertisement with uh, you doing the boxing seminars. I feel like I always learn a really cool takeaway from a seminar. There's always like when you taught the jab, you gave me all these like really cool details I've been putting into my jab. Is there one seminar that you've been to that you felt like you took away the most out of for your game? You know, it's interesting. Seminars are a great opportunity to really walk away with a takeaway or many takeaways because, you know, you're talking three hour, four or five hours training, maybe uh, one or two days. And I've been very fortunate. You know, I, I've been able to attend seminars taught by Sifu Guru Dan Onisano and Sifu Francis Fong and Ajahn Chai and uh, Sifu Guru Paul Vunak. Uh, when I was out at the uh, uh, at the Inasano Academy, I was able to train under Professor Jean Jacques Machado, and then when I, yeah, and then you know, just I, I can't count how many seminars I've attended that Sifu Kevin Seaman have taught, and all of them, all of them. I mean, these are just world class martial you know, artists, you know. So it'd be very tough to pick one particular seminar. And then, interesting enough, when I'm training in boxing with my coach, whether we're talking Ray Rinaldi out of Syracuse or Danny Akers, Pat O'Connor in Ithaca, Chet Cashman, he has since passed, but Chet Cashman, even in a regular training session, it seems like I've been very fortunate to walk away with something special, whether it was a technique or whether it was a philosophy, a training methodology you know, something that kind of assisted me. It's, it's always happened, you know, and it's interesting because yeah. when I train, it's often not one technique or, or one element that made a change, but it's that one technique element that then is that you make become part of your being, you know, because yeah. then, you know, you, you can't make the art, you have to adapt to the art. Or you have to have the art adapt to you because we're all different. So you and I are training in karate, but your flexibility is different than mine. Maybe I, I have a knee injury that's permanent. So even though we're taught the same way to sidekick, it's going to be different because we're different people. Yes, it's going to be similar, right. but it's also going to be different. So there's that adaptability that must occur. And for me, if I was like, oh, man, uh, Super Kevin Seaman taught this really cool technique and it's really up my game. I find later that it wasn't just that technique that he taught me, but it was also that technique had a catalyst within me that changed my outlook on other things. So now I have to be thankful to Sifu Kevin Seaman or Sifu Dan Anasano or Ajahn Chire or all of these wonderful martial artists, not for that one takeaway, that one technique, but the catalyst that that created that spurred an evolution within me. And with seminars, they I feel like with all that information that goes on, how do you retain all that information do you keep notes down do you record stuff do you run through it in your head after how do you really retain all that info from a seminar <laughs> in the olden days we were lucky most uh not most but there were many martial arts instructors who allowed you to film the seminar and then you could get a copy of the film and that was just fantastic because you had it and then for many reasons which i completely understand seminars were not filmed and so we would always take notes and then we'd run home and like a week or a month later, I'm like, I can't decipher what I wrote. Is that my writing? You know? Yeah, uh, yeah. So then we came up with the idea. 
we're going to take notes. And when we get home the very next day, we're going to film the techniques that we wrote the notes on. Recreate it so we have it. And so then you lost less and less techniques, you know. And that kind of became the progression. There are many people who don't even take notes. They just tried to learn it and absorb it. And obviously, you're not going to keep everything. But let's face it. There's, I don't know how many judo throws. Uh, I don't know the exact number, so I don't want to say in Syrah. Maybe there's 72 major different judo throws. But the typical uh, judoka, the typical practitioner in competition might use, I don't know. I was told one time that we're between three and five throws as their go-to. So obviously you're trained in a lot, but what really becomes part of your essence, what really you absorb is going to be a lot less. Right. Yeah. That's you. It's funny. You said that about the note writing. I Phil Miguel Reese came to Taikai uh, last year and I took notes because the last seminar that happened, I didn't take notes and it was at a Ajahn Chai seminar. I took no notes and I regretted it on the drive home. I was like, I can't believe I didn't write a single thing down from that. <laughs> So I said, Phil, I'm writing something down. I'm writing everything that he goes over, all the techniques. And then you're right. I put the book away and I didn't look at it for a month. I opened it up and I'm like, what is this chicken scratch? I don't even understand. Why did I write eggplant Parmesan? That doesn't make any yeah. sense. <laughs> I, I, I love that. I would use these analogies where I'd write down the name of a movie knowing, oh, I yeah, this makes perfect sense. And then a week later, I'm yeah. like, what in the world does Captain Kirk have to do with that arm yeah. part? Beam me up? So you want to be on the up and yeah. higher? Like, yeah. I'm glad you shared that story. I don't feel as embarrassed. I was like, what was I thinking? Uh, and stuff, you know? It's so funny. Anyway. It just happened to me too. Because I was yeah. like, when I was looking through, I'm like, all right, I'm not doing that mistake again. Next seminar, when you came out, I was like, maybe he'll let me record. I was like, oh, thank God he let me record him a little bit with some of the stuff. Because I was like, I'm not taking those notes again and forgetting. <laughs> well, you know, it's, it's 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 interesting. I, For me, I'm very thankful. I'm very fortunate. I'm a public school teacher. So that my, I guess you would say my livelihood or how I earn an income to pay for my bills comes from being a public school teacher. So I'm really conscientious of the fact that I don't earn a living teaching martial arts. So just because I would do something like this way doesn't mean other people should, because if you're a martial artist, obviously, and that's how you earn money, you're going to, you would think differently. So for me, the reason why I, I used to not let people film when I would teach had nothing to do with money. And I'm not saying people don't let you film now. It's because of money. I'm just saying as a martial artist, or I mean, as a public school teacher, I have an income. So I, I, I want to be, free with the information and I want it to be as easy as possible for people to recall the information because you spent your time, you know, your money and your time to come and train. Um, why I didn't let people, I, I preferred people not recording it was you always get people and not that have a negative outlook who post things on the internet, which is fine. And then other people will take a snapshot of the posting, which then could possibly take what they're showing now out of context and then become overly critical. I remember one right. time a person asking me about uh, certain boxers because, you know, that's kind of a big patch to me is the, the fight game. And asking about who do you think pound for pound, you know, this person, that. And I made a comment and I did not criticize any boxer, but it kind of sounded like maybe I was saying this person, fighter A is much better than fighter B. And that turned into he thinks fighter B is not that good. 
And and I never said right. either one of those statements. So then I got to answer questions to people who that was their hero that they thought I was criticized. I'm like, I wasn't criticizing anyone. So so my biggest concern with filming is, is that where everything seems to go to the internet right away, and then who knows what's going to happen. But even right. the seafood pebbles, and at this point, it's like, you know, I, I'm not going to worry about it. I know I'm a good person. I do my best to do a good job, be respectful of others. And if it's going to help people, you know, get what I'm sharing with them. I Because when I'm sharing, what was shared with me, and there's no fits, you know. So but it's interesting how things can get like that, you know. And it, it, yeah. It, it, it can be perfect. It always cracks me up. It's funny how people people can be so grumpy online, you know. Yeah. Um, with all your martial arts that you do, is there one that you think is uh, – I, I feel like if I say the most complete martial art, it, that's a hard question to ask. Do you think – which martial art has translated the most between others? Like sure. has Muay Thai footwork been able to translate more to other striking sports or vice versa? You know, it's interesting. All martial arts – were created by people. It does not matter any story you read, whether the person had a dream and then they woke up and were able to create this martial art, whether the creator gave them the knowledge of creating a martial art in the dream, whether you observed an animal fighting another animal. It does not matter the story of creation. Ultimately, all martial arts were created by people. I think we can agree on that. I think the right. second statement we could probably agree on is no person is perfect. Yep. So if we agree that people create martial arts, nobody is perfect, then no martial art is perfect. So when you said it's a tough question, but what martial art do you think might be the most complete or what martial art might translate more? You're exactly right. I, it, for me personally, I, I'm a martial arts I'm a martial artist, which means I'm a martial arts student, which means simply I just train in the martial arts. I'm trying to use the martial arts as a vehicle, yes, to be able to defend myself and protect my life, my family's life, preserve life, but I'm using martial arts as a vehicle to develop a deeper understanding of me as a person so I can live a life to the highest potential. So the martial art is the vehicle. So in addition to learning the martial art, learning how to punch and kick, how to take down arm bar, it, those techniques are great against an opponent, Corey. They're even greater when they're pointed inward against your ego, against yourself. So you can really strip away your essence to your core and understand who you are. So because all martial arts are created by people, no person is perfect. Therefore, no martial art is perfect. So now we can enter into a debate. I know you weren't trying to engage it, but you're just kind of curious if there's one art that really I resonated with and I felt translated. But this debate then becomes, and it has happened in the past, well, then what martial art is the most complete or the most effective or most... And honestly, I and again, I'm only a student, so I, I, I don't learn everything, and I, I, I'm sure I miss a lot. For me, to, to this point, till today even, I'm unable to identify one martial art that would be a go-to martial art or a more a most complete martial art, or martial art where I remember maybe extracting a technique, a training methodology, a teaching pedagogy or something that then helped in uh, other art or in my training in general. I just, like I say, I, I really believe 
um, regardless of the art, even arts that aren't considered martial art because they might not be uh, warlike or for defense, like say yoga um, or certain meditative uh, styles, I believe they even can have an impact on an individual and be a catalyst where <laughs> you're like laughing, you're like, now you have people laughing like, how did he, that, that slow single takedown was amazing. Where did he, where did he up his game to get that? <laughs> and the guy's like, well, I was at the playground and these kids were kind of, you know, wrestling on the playground. <laughs> going up the first. Like, That's not even a martial arts source. Yeah, right. His game on, on the takedown, you know, or I was with this uh, person. They're kind of like a, a, a yogi and they uh, were trying to explain breathing and relaxation of muscles and how you can engage different muscles. We call that muscle recruitment patterns with athletics. And that enabled me to develop greater power in my choke. It's like, oh, so you learn from, so you sat on your head and meditated and that's how you, yeah, basically. So I, I still find things like that. So it's pretty amazing. Yeah. And when I teach, when I, when I was, I was teaching uh, how to close the distance in the fight game, I was like, wow, that's great. Who'd you learn that from? I said, uh, I, I learned it from lacrosse. They go lacrosse. I go, yeah, and I didn't even play lacrosse. I find I'm also extrapolating <laughs> from traditional sporting uh, sports or uh, coaches because movement is universal, you know, and uh, so. <laughs> That's cool. Is yeah. there uh, is there one vehicle, one martial art that you haven't tried that you've always wanted to train in? Yes. You know, I oh got there's so many. I've never trained in, in judo, which I think is an amazing art. I've never trained um, Russian sambo. I've never trained in uh, Aikido. Uh, I've always wanted to train in Hapkido and Taekwondo. Um, I've always wanted to train in uh, Bondo. Like I've been shown elements of Bondo and elements of Cambodian boxing, but they're such beautiful arts. There are, there are so many uh, different uh, styles of Filipino martial arts and Sila I would love to train in. And, uh, and in, in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, I, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, I, I was very fortunate. Uh, my student or my teacher, his school right now in Ithaca is called Corazon Jiu-Jitsu. Uh, Hua, Joshua Lang, goes by Hua. And you might know him because he's come up to, you know, train a Thai kind role. He's, he's an amazing martial artist. He's an amazing instructor. And I only trained him maybe about a year and then the pandemic hit. Since the pandemic mm -hmm. and the shutdown, I have not been able to go back and train. And I'm only a white belt. I'm, 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 I'm a low-ranking white belt. But I, I, wow. I only had to take one class. I only had to learn one technique. And I didn't even learn it where I truly understood it. And I realized what a beautiful martial art. So even arts where I've had a little experience in, like, say, you know, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, Wing Chun Kung, I would still say, I got to train in that, I got to train that. They're just, they're, they're, there's so many amazing martial arts. Often what it comes down to is, and again, it comes from that book, uh, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Stephen Covey has a great line. I wish I came up with it. He says, begin with the end in mind. And I love that. Begin with the end in mind. So when people say, listen, what do you think I should train in? What's your goal? So that the end result. I want to be mm -hmm. able to do this. Okay. Then we look at you as an individual. What are your you know, advantages, disadvantages, strengths, weaknesses? What are your special needs? And then we look at the art based on that. You know, it's like when you train a, a I, when I was working, I trained the goalies from the field hockey team from Cornell University. Oh, and it was a cool. great job. 
yeah, it was a great, I, it was a great gig. I loved it because I love working with athletes. I love working with strength conditioning coaches and special. I, I love just to be a student and learn a lifelong learner. And it's interesting because my, my philosophy has always been this. If we talk about traditional sports, sometimes it's easier to understand when I use traditional sports. A lot of people talk about you should do this type of training. And what they don't understand is if we take traditional sports, your training of an athlete should be sport specific. The way you train a soccer team is going to be completely different than a way you train a field hockey team or even, even a basketball team. And so your, your training has to be sports specific. So if I'm going to compete in the octagon and I want to fight in UFC, fight MMA, my training will be vastly different than if I want to try to make the Olympics for Taekwondo. So your training is going to be different depending on that end result. So your training has to be sport specific. Your training also has to be position specific. So when I go to train the soccer team, it's so different because if you've ever seen a goalie versus a midi, way different. You better train the catcher on a baseball team vastly different than the center fielder. And he better right. be trained differently than the first baseman. So now it's sport specific, it's position specific, but then it better be athlete or individual specific because we have different strengths and weaknesses, different injuries, different, uh, you know, adaptions we have to make. So that's, you know, and that's where the complexity lies in the simplicity. It's simple. Yeah. But it's also kind of complex because you have to have thought, you have to be aware of that. You know, for me, I, I, I couldn't, I couldn't name one art that I want to train in because I want to train in them all. And I couldn't name one instructor yeah. I want to train with. I want to train with them all. Corey, I'm upset. You only live to be, I don't know, the average age of a male in America might be 78. Let's just say 100. I want to live to be 450. And it's not- Yeah, I know, right? Yeah, and it's not that I'm selfish. It's just there's so many wonderful things life has to offer I want to take advantage of. And that's why I feel bad when a lot of people don't understand that. And when you're not living a life to your fullest potential, then you don't understand that life is too short. When you're wasting time, you don't understand it's too precious to. And we are so much greater than we can imagine, so much stronger and can achieve so much more that we have to stop settling. We have to stop thinking this is it. If we're not doing what is considered our passion, then we got to make change. And it's never too late. No, it's never too late. I mean, geez, man, look at Sifu's how old? He's 68. 69 yeah, and he's still doing jujitsu. Like yeah, I, I, I rolled with him Sunday. He whooped my ass Sunday, you know, like, <laughs> yeah, I, I know he, he's amazing. And you look at, you look at, it's amazing. Look at all the Gracie's look at all the Machado's look at, um, Dan and Asano. There are so many people you and I can name regardless of art and regardless of age, because sometimes yeah. it's funny. Sometimes it's not, people say, how old are you? And I say, it's not the age, it's the mileage. <laughs> and then my friend's like, yeah, and you've had a lot of mileage. So they could be <laughs> sewn, <laughs> so they could be sewn in their 40s or their 50s, which obviously is not as old as 80s, but because of the limitations they have, the injuries or the things they're dealing with, and yet you see them perform at a high level and you, you wish you could get at. And it's inspirational, you know? Yeah. Yeah, for no doubt, dude. When I see uh even though Jean Chai or Dan, Dan and Sano are still teaching at their age. I'm like, I hope when I am their age that I'm still teaching or have some type of martial arts in my life. Maybe I won't be training as much as I did or as hard as I did, but I still hope I have some 
aspect of martial arts in my life. Sure. Well, you know, it's I, I don't want to get in trouble, but uh, Sifu Dan, Sifu Grodan, they trapped prior to the pandemic shutdown, they were traveling the world. Imagine you're born in 1936 and you're gone, I don't know, 40, 45, 47 weekends a year. And it's like right. Australia, come back. Italy, come back. Alaska, came. And it's like just traveling. I'm, I, I I now know how much I went by him. Just traveling. I would I, 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 time. And it's like, oh, no, no, no. Traveling. And you're dealing with different time zones, you know, different foods, not sleeping in your bed. And then you have to teach. And you're teaching five-hour yep. seminars back-to-back. -back. You're not just teaching where it's like, okay, do this. You're demonstrating. You're going around and correct. I, I hope that I can get to be 10% of these people we're talking about, all these amazing yeah, right, yeah. Well, it's like, How do they achieve that? And it's, you know, always moving forward. Keep going. Yep, exactly. exactly. And it's always uh, being a lifelong learner, right? Those guys are yeah. still still learning new things every single day. They, they're very open-minded approach to their martial arts, you know, which I've always mm – -hmm. Love and respect it. I think that's the only way a martial art could get better, you know? Yeah. You know, I would always say live as this is your last day. Learn as if you'll live forever. And it's so true. Lifelong learn. It's like that song, Young Heart. You know, uh, you're yeah. the, we, we're, we're getting greater. As with everything, we're developing greater understandings, deeper understandings in different fields of study and the power of the mind. And, it, you know, you look at placebo effect, you look at meditation used to, to battling, you know, cancers or other autoimmune diseases, and it, it's truly remarkable. And so that, that positive, that healthy mindset makes a difference in your, your, your physical development. You know, if you want, you want to change your psychology, change your physiology. And it's so true, you know. Right, right. And I... I think doing something different, especially like martial arts, something so physical, so exhausting. Like people don't realize how how tiring moving around and grappling on the mats are, moving around until you start doing it. And it's uh, it changes you physically, mentally, and I'd even say spiritually. Like you really do have a new approach to things. I think. Well, you yeah, say, I agree one hundred percent. I agree the hundred percent. I, I, and what's interesting, like you said, is if all you training, all you train in is Muay Thai or boxing or Brazilian Jiu Jitsu or karate, and then, and you can just train in one arm. I'm not saying you have, I, I said for me, like to train in different arts, I am not disagreeing with anyone who says, listen, all I want to train in 24 seven for my life is Taekwondo or Brazilian Jiu Jitsu or Judo. There's nothing wrong with that. We're all different. We all have our own paths. For those who want to train one art, great. But if you choose to train in different arts, you could train in just one art and go extremely hard. Like you say, you people are unaware of how physically demanding it is to roll on the mat in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu or how physically demanding it is to kick tie pads and we tie. So if all you do is that and then you cross over and train in a different discipline, then it's a whole nother way to tax your system. And you don't realize your limitations. How are you ever going to know what your limitation is and then be able to move it beyond unless you train to that level? And uh, what you said last is perfect. I believe that when we train, the first level is physical. Hey, you want to you develop physically? That's easy. Lift the weight. The next level 
is mental. You know, read a book. The next level, which is even harder to cultivate, is emotional. You and I have met adults who are just very immature, very egotistical. They're intelligent. They, it doesn't matter their physicality, but emotionally, the development's not there. So when we train in martial arts, you want to be able to develop yourself physically, mentally, and emotionally. And the higher plane, which is very difficult to get at, but achievable, is spiritually. And when I'm talking spiritual development, I am not talking religion. It can be religion, absolutely. But for those who say, well, I'm not religious, it does not have to be religious. You can, you could not be religious at all. You could be an atheist, but still achieve spiritual development. So we just have to come up with an accepted definition of spirituality, which is easy. And so when I go to a class and I'm being taught how to hook, that's physical. And when they teach me the different points on a hook, center gravity, rotation in a transverse transverse plane, shifting away. Oh, now you're getting very technical. The anatomy of a hook, that's intellectual. Then they talk about mindset, killer instincts, situational stuff. Oh, you have to slip across where you get a little scared of not getting hit and come back with a hook. Now you're, you're engaging the emotional component. On the spiritual level, can be taught in the classroom, but often it's going to be afterwards. But that's almost like some people say an extrapolation. Really what it is, is in learning something like the hook, I'm increasing not only my knowledge of the hook, which means I'm increasing my knowledge of boxing, but I'm increasing the knowledge of myself, a different manner of movement, a different understanding of the science, the spatial relationship of gravity, of, of fulcrum and lever, of torque. And as I increase my knowledge of myself, self-knowledge, I get a deeper understanding of myself. And if I have a deeper understanding of myself, I can have a deeper understanding of others and the relationships which exist between myself and others. And then I can look at my life and ask myself, am I truly living the life that I choose to, that I, I you know, and am I able to achieve what I truly want to achieve? First of all, I don't even know what I want to achieve and can I achieve it? And when you start delving into that, that all came from the hook. It came from something I couldn't do, a limitation, maybe. I overcome that limitation. And then that limitation overcame in my boxing or my martial art of uh, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. I now, when I have a limitation in my job teaching or my relationship with my partner or my child or my neighbor, I'm going to understand that I'm going to find ways to overcome that limitation, that obstacle, and that's going to enrich that relationship. And it all comes back to within so that's how you can get that those four yeah i forgot about uh emotional emotional is a big one emotional yes intel that that changed for me i mentioned earlier my my self-confidence was in the can when i first started uh doing muay thai and it gave me uh, a little bit more uh comfort emotionally how to handle myself being in my skin and also uh how you react to things throughout the rest of the day. I'll tell you, when you kick, when you do 10 rounds of pads and Chris is holding for you, there is nothing that bothers you the rest of the day. There is nothing <laughs> that can bug you the rest of the day. You are just like this all day. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny. You, I, I, I would never want to say that one level of development is more important than another because they're not four separate. They're all integrated. They're all connected. We know that. We're trying to develop ourselves in totality, our being, right? But it's interesting. In life, you could not be, you know, there are there are people who are so 
highly skilled and knowledgeable and are on another level who are in yoga or philosophers. So their vehicle obviously may not be the physical realm, not that yoga is not physical, it is, but say a philosopher, right? Um, so anyways, their their main development of vehicle could be the, you know, the intellectual, the spiritual. We meet people that, you know, bodybuilders and stuff like that where their main vehicle development is physical. But the goal is to integrate your, your being, yourself, and it's a total. And we have met people who have physical development, amazing athletes. Intellectually, they could be near geniuses. And they may talk the spiritual game, but they're just emotionally undeveloped where they're so egotistical and arrogant and unpleasant to be around. So often, you said it perfect, Corey. You were like, oh, I forgot about the emotional development. Too often. Most people do. And if right. you want to enrich in your life, that's one area to focus on first because it's not about making friends because you look good. That's physical. It's not about making good friends because you're intellectual. They want to copy off you. It's about how you treat people. You know, it's about that relationship, you know, and that's all based on that emotional. Are you, are, are you a jealous person? You can't share in other people's success. Oh, he only sold more houses than I did because he was answering the phones when I was supposed to, but I was sick. So you really can't share in the success of others. You want to knock down or lessen their achievement to make yourself feel better. That's emotional. So there are people who have those issues and it's sad. And un unfortunately, that's an area that's most often overlooked. And that is a key. We all want to change our situation. I want more money. I want a bigger house. I want the promotion. But often we don't want to change ourselves. And it's who we are as a human being in totality that often reflects where we are. Now, I, 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 I understand there are many people because of institutionalized historical prejudice, discrimination, racism, who, have, who are not where they should be. And it's because of that. And that is such a tough obstacle to overcome. And there are some obstacles that maybe some people say are not you're not able to overcome. So I, I'm, I'm definitely not ignoring that. I'm talking in general with, with many people today, like, oh, I, I wish I wish I had a nicer girlfriend. And the reality is I'm maybe not that nice of a person. And maybe that's why I'm in these toxic relationships. And instead of looking out and blaming others, I should be looking in and, and asking these questions. And so that's really our, you know, where our development should be in the totality of a human being. And we're very lucky, Corey, because uh, an incredible vehicle. And I'm not going to say it's the best, but in, for me, and it sounds like for you, <laughs> for us, maybe the best vehicle really has been martial arts. You know, martial arts doesn't just teach us fighting and self-defense. It teaches us who we are as people, who we can be, what we can achieve in all aspects of our life. So I'm very thankful for martial arts because it, it who I am and, and that constantly can be changing and whom I'm striving to become. I owe to martial arts because that's been the vehicle that's really opened me up to this internal searching to try to find out who I am and what I can be, you know, and my teachers aren't just my martial arts instructors. They're my colleagues. They're my, my students, you know, and of course my family, my friends, you know, strangers. I'll tell you, it's right. interesting. You, you, I'm, I'm pumping gas and this one lady is yelling at her husband and swearing, dropping the F-bomb left and right. Now, listen. I had no knowledge of what happened prior to getting there. And maybe he deserved it. All I know is I quickly <laughs> learned how I should never behave. So it's amazing yeah. what a teacher can be, right? Yeah. Bobby, 
what a that's like a mic drop moment right there <laughs> i feel like we should that's like a good spot to end on man that yeah. was this was so much fun bobby because i i know i've said this before but when do we ever get an hour to sit down and chat and it was great getting to, to talk to you i feel like we could do this for like literally the rest of the day <laughs> Corey, I, I i just a couple of things i Number one, like I say, I meant it sincerely. I, I'll, I've said it before the podcast. I'll say it after. Getting to know you, you know, even I know, know you limitedly, uh, you know, I would talk to see when you name it often come up. I always just thought you were just a wonderful person. I'm very thankful That's our paths have crossed because you're just, like I said, I just think you're a great person. And then for you, create an opportunity for me to be on your podcast is just wonderful because I've learned so much in listening to you speak, listening to the questions you've asked, the comments. And I'm also kind of learning some things I've said, like, oh, yeah, I forgot about that. So this has been a great opportunity to help me on my path. And so I just can't thank you enough for this. And I'm hoping we'll get together soon. I'm hoping yeah. uh, I'll be able to come up soon and train. And uh, maybe I can pick your brain because brain, uh, there's a bunch of things I want to ask you in the arts. But thank you very much for this moment. Yeah, we can. We would, uh, we got to talk to Sifu. We set up like a day. We'll get you, me, Chris, and Kevin all together. We'll just kick pads and have like an instructor powwow. That'll be great. We'll go grab lunch somewhere. Yeah, that sounds great. Bobby, thank you, dude. I appreciate yep. you.